Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of Romans, and today's episode is Romans chapter 16, Paul's Coworkers in the Faith. I love this chapter. I had been anticipating it because this is something very common in a lot of Paul's works is where at the end, he ends up naming a lot of people that he has done this missionary work with. And I just think it is um, such a beautiful uh, way to honor your coworkers. You know, we all know Paul and Peter, and there is all kinds of studies in universities alone just to dissect the work of Paul. So he's pretty much a rock star, but he doesn't see himself as a rock star. He sees himself just as the scripture tells us that there are many parts to the body and he is just a part and he always is giving credit to other people where credit is due. His gifting is to understand the Old Testament and scriptures. And once Jesus came and revealed himself to him, he had this great understanding, this deep understanding of what salvation was. So his his gift is his wisdom, his understanding, and his ability to write and communicate that. But he doesn't elevate that as more important than all of these other people working together to make sure that the gospel spreads. And so that's what this chapter is. It's really a, a looking back at the, the people that he is working closely with and giving them honor. And this starts off with Phoebe. In verse 1, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Century. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your, um, your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and also me. Now, I love this because this letter starts out with a woman. And uh, not that I am... One of these people that's a woman's lib, but unfortunately in the church, there has been a great disservice to women in the sense of men taking and building a theology out of certain portions of Paul's letters. And we have to remember that Paul was not just sitting down writing the New Testament, knowing that 2,000 years later, we, we'd be dissecting every word. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but these still were letters written to specific churches that had specific issues going on. And so there are some of Paul's letters that say women need to be silent. He wasn't saying in all the churches all over the world, women need to be silent. There was definitely a serious problem in those churches. And so he starts this chapter out by commending Phoebe. So we're going to take a look at her. First of all, she is 
her name. Her name is a feminine form of the pagan god Apollo, meaning the bright one. So we believe that she is a Gentile that had converted to Christianity at some point in her life. And something interesting is she didn't change her name. She didn't hide who she was. I believe this is part of her testimony. What a great opener when people are thinking, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, but your name is Apollo, the bright one. And she can sit there right then and there and open up and share the gospel with them of how Apollo is a false deity and how her God is the living God and salvation can only come through him. She is also probably giving the, um, are entrusted with delivering this letter. That is what many scholars think is that Paul has handed this letter to Phoebe and that she would be the one to deliver it to the church in Rome. And we're going to talk about what that um, entails in just a minute. But Paul does reference her as three different things in, in these first two scriptures. He's first calling her a sister, which means that she is a Christian. She's part of this family. He also uses a word that translate as deacon. She's um, And many scholars, this was just a common word that meant a servant or a worker, a runner of errands. But the way that it is in Paul's writing, most scholars believe that this is a, an official recognized office in the local congregation um, that, that her job is to care for some affairs. Now, I thought this was interesting because like I said, for some reason in, I don't know when this happened, but men who studied God's word decided to pick and choose scriptures and that women should be silent and they should have no part of any type of leadership. And these same men must have later on in some translations changed her title to deaconess. And I thought that this was interesting. I came across it in several different places that deaconess was not a word or an office used in the first century. That didn't come till centuries later. So no, Paul calls her a deacon. She has the same role as some of her fellow men in the church. She's also called a prostatus, which would be a patroness. And this is someone who funded the mission and ministry of people in that day. So she probably funded Paul's mission and ministry. That doesn't necessarily mean that he made a lot of money off of her. What that would have been is the work that he was doing. He could call her up and say, hey, we have this great need over in Rome. There are in the church, the church is saying that there's a lot of sick people and they just don't have the funds to take care of them. And then we have all these kids that are running around without families and we need to feed them. And she could say something like, oh, got it, on my way. You know what? I can sell some things in Rome because she was a wealthy businesswoman. I'm going to go. And so it looks like she is funding the care and needs of the people in Rome, but then she's also doing the work. I thought it was unbelievably interesting that she was mentioned first. And so I wrote to my friends that I have gone on study trips with at Walking the Text. And one thing that I appreciate about them is they are so quick to to work with me and help me understand scripture. Because I, I didn't want to take this out of context. But my thinking was, you know, there are places in scripture where two people will be listed. And the order of their names is important. The first 
name that is mentioned um, is the one that has the most authority or leadership um, or standing in the relationship. And so for an example of this in Acts, you see right at Paul's conversion that Barnabas and Paul are traveling. Barnabas is sent to Paul and he is uh, mentoring him in this new Christianity that is sweeping the, the known world. But then later in Acts, as Acts goes on, all of a sudden the writer Luke names Paul first and then Barnabas. He not rose to power, but he rose in his leadership in the early church. The same thing with our favorite couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila is first mentioned. It's Aquila and Priscilla. But then as the church grew, Priscilla's name comes first. And that is just denoting that she is taking more of a leadership role. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if, Phoebe is the most revered in Paul's mind because she is listed first. Well, it's probably he hits it right off because she's the one delivering the letter. So he wants to touch on her first. He wants people to trust her. She is from Century. That's a seaport city near Corinth. So we believe that her and Paul um, were together at this time because remember, he is writing this letter in Corinth and she's traveling to Rome and Paul wants to give his stamp of approval on her. And we believe that she is going to be caring for some things. So one, uh, a couple of things that my friends from Walking the Text mentioned, and I thought that this was just so beautiful because I think um, what I was most touched by is that she is revered and listed first because of the work she is doing for those that can't care for themselves. I feel like in our culture, a lot of times we elevate people that have these amazing gifts and talents, you know, writers and singers and, and communicators. And here in the early church, the important people were the people that were just going out and doing the dirty work and using their funding uh, to do it. And so I'm just going to read to you some of the, the things that I, the feedback that I got back whenever I did ask the question about Phoebe. Um, Brad says, as you have pointed out in your email, benefaction was a huge part of how the first Christians won over their culture. In essence, a Christian community solved actual problems in the neighborhood, thereby making life more livable for those in their communities, especially around the care of widows, orphans, and children who had been left to exposure and the sick. So that is how the Christians got the attention of their community and how they won trust in their community because they were the ones that made the neighborhoods more livable for the people therein. I thought this was interesting because he added that once Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, you know, once Constantine said, hey, everyone, you have to be Christians, Christian benefaction looked more like the building and furnishing of church buildings. And then he suggested the book, Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, and said, it will blow your mind in this regard. So when the early apostles were spreading the gospel, they did it through meeting the needs of the poor. When Rome got a hold of Christianity, it was more about impressing people with large, fancy buildings. Then he goes on to say, a side note on your line of thinking um, and I thought this was a beautiful story. I didn't know. In Acts 9, a woman named Tabitha, which we, we studied her whenever we went through the book of Acts, she dies. Apparently, she had endured herself 
in, I'm sorry, she had endeared herself to the widows in Joppa because of the clothing she made for them. When she died, they were beside themselves with grief, so much that they called Peter to come to Joppa. Now, I remember the story, and I remember that happening and really didn't think much of it, but this was his commentary on it. Now, think about this. It's the beginning of Acts. The Jesus movement is starting to take off. Big things are happening, and Peter has to pause from attending the, in quotes, big things to go to Joppa to console the widows. It would be easy to see Tabitha's care for the widow as a small thing, but the New Testament bears witness again and again to these tangible acts of kindness rather than what we would call pastoral prestige. Paul did not write back and say, I'm sorry, ladies, I have an important large gathering to go to. He paused the important work that he was doing because they were equally important to to go and allow them to grieve and for him to build them up and grieve with them. I mean, remember we've read through Romans that we are to celebrate with those celebrating and grieve with those who are grieving. My um, interpretation of that. So in verse 2, he tells the people of Rome to welcome her, to assist her because she has helped many. We've talked about this prostatus that she was, um, the patron, the one that funded and um, funded the ministry. And I had written a person who is, um, a prostatus is a person who uses his or her influence and financial resources to sponsor people. She is believed to be a prominent wealthy woman who used her resources to assist Christians, including Paul. He goes on then to say, give a greeting to Priscilla and Aquila. Now, he has met them and has had many journeys and experiences with them, and they are now living in Rome. They lived in Rome. They were Jewish, and they got cast out when one of the emperors wouldn't allow Christians to live there that we talked about in the beginning in the intro, and now they have returned. They are co-workers with Paul. He mentions that they um, risked their their necks for his life, and uh, I um, he says, I thank them, and so do the Gentiles. Greet I thank them, and so do the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their home. This church is translated ecclesia, and it actually means the called out ones. So greet also those called out that are meeting in your homes. Uh, This is just a reminder that the church is people, not a building. And the New Testament considers it the norm for the believers to meet regularly in homes. It wasn't until the third century do we see evidence of church buildings. Not to say that church buildings are a bad thing, like like that became important in the Roman Empire and maybe a little too important, maybe too much emphasis was placed on the building rather than the people. But the church building in itself is not a bad thing. The reason why the first church um, the early church didn't have, didn't use or utilize buildings was because of money. This was a brand new movement and there just wasn't money or time to quickly build something. So they were meeting in the homes. Um, so then we move on to a slew of people that he mentioned. And we're not going to go through each and every one of them, but it is interesting if you take a commentary and take the time to kind of um, read some things that are true about these people. But one of the things that is so extraordinary about this chapter is that it is an extensive list where Paul mentions Roman 
people with Roman citizenship, he mentions Greeks, he mentions Jews, he mentions men, he mentions women, he mentions free people, and he mentions slaves. They all came under the body of Christ. They were one in Christ, and it's just a beautiful list of all these people living together and loving one another. He tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And this is a um, common greeting in and across the world, and it's more intimate than a handshake. And one of the things that the American culture, we are more closed off, but most cultures around the world are more intimate. And I remember going to Guatemala in my early 20s with one of my closest friends whose family was from there. So I went on a family vacation. We stayed with her family. And as soon as we got off the airplane, it, you had to meet everyone. Everyone greeted you and you had to greet them by kissing them on both cheeks. And this was completely out of my comfort zone, but I did it. And I can remember that night, her cousin had um, gotten us to go out to eat with them and all of his friends, you know, and these are people in their early 20s. I'm in my early 20s are there at the restaurant. And so I am kissing all of these people and I am more shy and reserved and not touchy. And so I think after about 20 people, the last three people, I just kind of gave a wave. Like I was done. And later in the week, one of the guys that I just waved to, um, he and I got in a conversation and he ended up letting me know how offended he was and how rude. And he said it, I mean, it was in a kind way. Like we had built a little friendship and he was like, oh no, what you did was so offensive and so hurtful. And um, I was just blown away that how important that this kiss is. And Another thing that I had studied, um, I was doing a, um, at a family camp, we were talking about the importance of uh, purity um, in, in teenagers and how that is the parent's job to instill that. And part of the study was on female girls going through puberty um, and how they have this intrinsic desire and need for human touch and it's most um important to come from their dad at that time. And it's second to an infant. We all know that infants need touch. They they cannot actually grow and develop how they are supposed to if they aren't getting this constant touch. And, and in a healthy family, an infant is going to get touched a lot. But also in a healthy family, it's common in those teenage years where girls are changing, going through puberty, that their dad backs off because, you know, that's weird and uncomfortable. But that's actually when they need this human touch more than any other time in their life except for infancy. So in the story, it I mean, in my study, it just led to show me that out of all the major cultures of the world, Americans are the least touchy, the least intimate. And in this culture, they are very intimate. And he is telling them to stay intimate. Um, in fact, this was a um, shared worship that one belonged to the same family with this kiss. And one of my study partners, Lynn, I loved what she said while we were just in conversation about this. She said, Paul was telling them to exchange fake for authentic. And I just love that. So this early church had intimacy. Then to conclude, Paul goes into warning about divisive people. Now, I think this is so interesting because we have, we spent the early part of the chapter just talking about getting along. Then we spent the last couple of weeks talking about how we can love well through our differences. And then he is going to address how to 
handle divisive people, but he only spends two verses on it. So this is important, but he's this is not where he's putting all of his focus. But he says, Now I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause dissension and obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ with their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Here he's not saying share a table with them and just agree to disagree. People that have a doctrine different then the doctrine he was teaching, he said, avoid. He believed that unity in the body of Christ was better served if you avoided the people that was going to teach a different gospel. This could look like many, many, many different things, but just right off the bat, it made me think of the Jews that were in a lot of the towns in Turkey that are at the time, Asia Minor, that he would go um, and, and visit the early churches and some of the Jews would chase him out because they believed that all people had to be circumcised. That is not the gospel. The, the Salvation is not contingent upon circumcision. And so that would have been a false gospel. In today's um, culture, in our culture, I would say that the biggest threat is by people telling you maybe partial gospel, not the whole gospel, just the things that are going to tickle your ears and flatter you and and um, get you in the door and maybe draw larger crowds, people who avoid the whole gospel because the whole gospel might get people from leaving. And so Paul does a quick warning about that, but then he wants us to remember that the gospel really is simple. And we see what God values just through this letter. The first, I mean, the past two weeks, it has been love. God values love. We are out to outdo one another, showing honor. And that is what Paul is leading by example. He is outdoing all of these members of the church by showing honor to them. And so this is so important that we love God, that we love people. But then the second part of the simple gospel we see in verse 19. It says, the report of your obedience has reached everyone. Remember, there's a lot of issues in this church, but Paul starts off just talking about how he longs to meet them. He is so proud of them. He loves the work that they are doing. And he, he reminds them at the end, after he has had to address many different things, the report of your obedience have reached everyone. Everyone knows of this church because they are an obedient people. And one thing that Newly always says in our house is what gets celebrated gets repeated. And Paul wants these people in the church of Rome to continue to walk in obedience. And part of that obedience is to love one another and to love the people in Rome that no one cares for. And so he is celebrating that in this list of names and especially starting off with Phoebe. He is celebrating them. So doesn't that, whenever you bring honor to somebody, especially something that they're doing that um, is just kind of behind the scenes and thankless, doesn't that make you want to keep going? And, and, and maybe if you're someone who you're not really you're not really reaching uh, your, your community. You're not doing a lot of local outreach, but you're sitting in a congregation and Paul writes this letter and he is just going on and on and on about how thankful he is for the people that are going out and doing the hard work. Wouldn't that kind of motivate you? Like, oh, that gets celebrated here. I want to be a part of that. And so Paul is doing that. He is really honoring and celebrating. And I guarantee you this action will get repeated because of that. He goes on to say, I'm just going to read it because it's so good and 
Paul and his doxologies are so deep and so good. He says, therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Grace, um, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then he addresses he, well, he mentions Timothy, my co-worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosifeter, Sosifeter, <laughs> my fellow countrymen greet you. These are people that he is working with right now, probably in Corinth. I love Timothy. We spent a whole semester studying his letters. Just a sweet, wonderful kid that Paul has taken under his wing, and he is completely discipling him to be another Paul. Then this part in verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Newly had sent me something a couple of months ago. It was a pastor, Andy Crouch, that did, it was on a reel, and he is teaching about this chapter, and he gets to this part, and it really choked me up because he painted such a beautiful picture. First of all, Tertius is a scribe. Let me get to my notes. Tertius is a trained scribe who copied down Paul's dictation. He was trained, or all scribes in this day and age, was trained to write small and neatly. Um, this He was probably a slave at one time. I mean, typically that's who the, the scribes were. And why does Paul need a scribe? I'm not sure. Some people wonder if it is because... That thorn in his flesh that he has prayed that God remove maybe is his eyesight. Um, but what we do know is that Paul sometimes uses scribes, and they are different. It's not always tertius. It depends on where he is. Paul sometimes uses scribes, and sometimes he doesn't. So if you are ever in a debate with someone um, and say they are not a believer and they're going to try to poke holes in, in scripture, one of the things they might say is that there is a literary difference in Paul's letters. Well, that's because they, scribes are not writing down word for word what someone is saying. They kind of have a little bit of liberty to have their own style of writing. And so that's why some of Paul's letters have a different style. And um, Paul writes some of his letters and uh, Paul's well-educated. And so I don't really know why he has a scribe, but here he does. And this is what Pastor Andy Crouch pointed out. Tertius, that word, his name means third. And in this world where there were slaves, a lot of times they were just named like he was probably the third child born. They lacked legal personhood. They were given impersonal names. And he painted this picture of Tertius busy writing for Paul as Paul's talking. And so Paul is finishing up right now where he says, Timothy, my co-worker, Lucius, Jason, Sosifeter, my fellow countrymen, greet you. And then he pauses and Tertius is ready to continue. And he looks up in the silence and Paul points to him and says, hey, you're writing this letter. You finish it. Paul is giving third a chance to have a name and a chance to greet the audience of the letter recipients. And so he begins writing, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who has hosted me and the whole church greets you. And Eratus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus, which means fourth, greets you in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with you all. He's given a chance to be a person and to have a voice. And that's what the gospel does. It doesn't know black or white or socioeconomic status. 
It just knows you as God's creation. You are a person with a purpose and God has called you by name. And it is, we have the ability because we have the Holy Spirit in us. So whether you are the most educated and you've had everything at your fingertips or you are someone who is wild and crazy and have been demon possessed with a legion of demons, The Holy Spirit can work through you and the world can come to know Jesus as their Savior because you have partnered with him. And to close, glory be to God in verse 25, now to him who has the power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all nations to the only wise God. There are no other gods wise to the only wise God through Jesus Christ to him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Paul, for this beautiful letter, for a chance for us to read what it was like in your world and then learn from that and apply it to our own lives. Family, I thank you for going on this journey with me. It has been um, 17 weeks, I believe, and it has been so good. I am excited to announce to you guys first, or at least if you are listening to this before we announce on Friday, but next semester study, we are going to do something called Bible Nerd Shorts. We have specifically chosen three different short books of the Bible in hopes that you will have endurance to finish them, for one, but then also to invite friends that maybe not have that same endurance to come along. Because before you know it, after four chapters or so, it'll be over and it'll be easy for people to catch up. But then also halfway through the, or a third of the semester, you can invite people to join you because we'll start a new book. So it's going to be Bible Nerd Shorts, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and the book of Titus. And then also I want to invite you out to our Bible Nerd Nights. The more that we have studied scripture, the more that we see in the early church, the value of community and what the church was able to accomplish because of this community. When people are locked arms and they live tight knit lives, it doesn't take an army of people to change the world. It just takes a few. And so the point of these Bible nerd nights is to come to our house in our backyard and enjoy worship. We are going to have food where we can sit down and eat together because there's just something spiritual about a meal And we see that all through the New Testament. We will take communion together because that was part of the early church. They had love feast, and it was just a huge feast that ended with communion. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have visiting. We're going to have amazing worship. I think I already said that. And it's just going to be simple. And more than anything, we are asking God just to meet us and to do something special as we dig into Scripture and try to live out the life that we see modeled through these New Testament apostles. And so we invite you to the first one, January 29th. There'll be one every month to follow. We hope to see you there. I hope to see you next semester. We will kick off in February. Invite your friends. Start getting ready. Happy reading.